0: Welcome to This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell and I've had type 1 diabetes for 25 years. I'm a life coach, author, and speaker. I also work full-time as a process analyst in the power industry. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me.
1: I'm Jesse Tuggy and I've had diabetes for nine years. I love hiking and painting and looking forward to working as an engineer after I get my degree in college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my life and my future, to learn everything I can about
0: type 1 diabetes. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 75 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking with Dania Al-Khatib. Dania shares the rebellious side of diabetes and what happens when hospitals and doctors treat people with diabetes like numbers instead of humans. Jesse, you are up with a win of the week. Yes, I am up for the win of the week this week. So I wanted
1: to talk to you guys about contacting colleges and their disability offices. So this last week, I signed up for housing MSU, Montana State, which we all kind of figured I'd be going to at this point. And one of the questions on the sign-up sheet was, do you need any accommodations? And I put yes. And about an hour later, I got an email asking to contact the disabilities office because they didn't have my paperwork on file. But the win of the week is kind of going out to the school for being so on it and on top of it when it comes to accommodations with, for students with disabilities. I'm actually pretty impressed. So yeah. Anyways, Colleen, what's
0: our fail? <laughs> I have a couple fails to report. The first is that I needed to change my site at 1 in the morning a few days ago because the insulin just wasn't working. I went up to like over 200, 220 twice. That was fun. It was on the last day of my site anyway, but it was just super annoying. And I had to inject some extra insulin with a syringe to bring myself down. Again, I had to do that twice. And my second fail is that my insurance company sent me letters saying that they're not covering my test strips or my Novolog next year, which is non-medical switching. We've talked about that before. So now I have to jump through those hoops of either getting an authorization letter for my Novolog after testing Humalog again. So that'll be fun. Or asking my insurance if they cover Fiasp, which is also manufactured by Novo Nordisk and is also a fast-acting insulin. I'm guessing they won't because... It's Novo Nordisk, and if they're not covering NovoLog, they probably won't cover Fiasp, but I have to ask. So I have to put that on my calendar to call insurance and find out. So that's fun. Jesse. what is our diabetes hack this week? That really sucks. I just want to say, Colleen,
1: that like sucks. Anyways, so our hack this week also connects to the win where you should be going to your colleges when you're applying and going to talk to your disabilities office about what accommodations they can offer. Um, this is pretty important because if you go low in like the middle of a test and then you can't like complete the test or finish it, the teacher in the college can give you extra time because it could be required depending on your disability or what you what you're going through. They also might be able to give you like retakes or extra time that they wouldn't offer other students because of what you've got going on. Also talk to your doctors about what accommodations or insight on what papers you might need. Dr. Thompson helped me out with that a lot. She was very on it when I told her that I got in. She's like, have you contacted their disabilities office? Okay, do you know what you need? Here are some things that you might need to fill out, blah, blah, blah. She was super awesome. So definitely talk to your doctors. They're totally for you going to college.
0: And now let's get into the interview with Dania. Hi Dania. Welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Hi. Thank you for having me. We'll just get started. Give us the rundown of who you are and the role that diabetes plays in your life.
2: My name's Dania. I'm from the tri-state area and I'm 28 years old. I was diagnosed when I was four. Studied English into art and stuff like that. And diabetes has always kind of been there. Don't really remember not having it. So it's it's really cool to just be able to like talk about lifestyle and how it affects lifestyle and how to coexist with it instead of having it define you. So I think this is a really cool opportunity to sort of discuss those things.
0: So what's the story of your diagnosis? Like, did your family know anything about diabetes before then? Any family history?
2: Um, type two runs in our family. So like, you know, the older aunts and uncles and grandparents. Type one isn't common. I'm the only one who has it. I was four years old and I kept wetting the bed. My mom was like, all right, we're putting her in timeout, but nothing's changing and she knows better. Something's not right. So she was a smart cookie and took a urine test. And I was like, hey, test this, (laughs) the doctor's office. And they ran some tests and we're like, yeah, she she has diabetes. They rushed me over to, I believe it was Yale, New Haven. And I stayed there for about a week. And we just, it was from there, it's just one huge learning curve because this was something we'd never dealt with before. Like insulin was a scary idea because nobody had been taking it. It was always, you know, pill and lifestyle. So this is an adjustment.
1: So, do you have any like favorite things about having diabetes? I feel like in today's
2: society, diet and being health oriented is such a big thing. And I feel like, Diabetics sort of have an upper hand on these conversations like it's something that we've always had to sort of pay attention to before it became a trend or before it became such like a wide broad subject that so many people were interested in so it's cool how it sort of like intertwines and correlates with like these topics but it doesn't just pertain to like me because I'm a diabetic it can go for anyone but it's something that I can say and it's knowledge that I can have for those conversations, which is really cool because everyone likes to feel like they know something. But also even just like growing up, like it was a great excuse to get out of class or like... I still I use remember, that today. <laughs> Right? Or even just like, I was a very... I had a healthy appetite as a kid. So I remember going to the nurse's office and checking my blood sugar and it'd be like, let's say 106 or 160. And I'd be like, Maybe if I pretend not to see the one. I'm 60. I need crackers and juice, please. <laughs> Just snack. <laughs> not the best idea. And they caught on pretty quick. But those are some, some fun moments growing up with it.
1: Are there any like least favorite or like things you really don't like about having diabetes?
2: I think I sort of had an aha moment where it was like, all right, I accepted it as part of my identity. And it wasn't something that was so taboo or I needed to hide. But there was a time where I was checking my finger, like if we were out, I was going to like the bathroom, or I was self-conscious as a kid walking around with syringes. Like I didn't like to do it, you know, at the restaurant at the table or check underneath the table. I think those things, just the self-conscious part of it, before you really accept it as like not a downfall, but just like, hey, I have this, whatever. So that part was difficult. And I think also growing up, and it's like class parties and stuff, needing to wait to eat that cupcake until you got home, that was tough. Again, I had a healthy appetite. I loved <laughs> foods, especially sweets. But I think just finding that balance, I think, especially in your youth, is hard. And I think that would be like the biggest downfall, or even like working out. Sometimes you're like in the zone and you're like, I feel my blood sugar dropping. Like, you know, just things like that.
0: Yeah, definitely. I can totally relate to the blood sugar dropping one. I did a couch to five K like last year. And towards the end, most times my number would be double arrows down, 55, and I have to shove my face full of Smarties in the middle of the run. Fun. The worst feeling. Yeah. So you mentioned syringes before. How do mm-hmm. you manage your diabetes now? Do you have a pump, CGM, pens? Right now I have
2: the 670 G insulin pump. And then I also use the sensor as well complete game changer there was one day that it like i needed to get it replaced and medtronic was really good about sending me a new one and i don't think i wore a pump it was like 8 to 12 hours of just not having a pump at all and i had absolutely no control and it was so interesting to see that sort of like comparison in, in such a short amount of time where it's like once you're on the pump syringes and vials seem almost primitive There's no way, there is no way that checking three to five times a day or taking three injections is going to keep you leveled. And I remember being so frustrated and like avoiding checking my finger because I was always like, this is disappointing. (laughs) It was just like unbelievable comparison. I've never had like single digit A1Cs ever until I started using the pump. And now I'm like at a seven and I'm like, okay. So yeah, complete game changer. Such a game changer.
1: I got the 670G in the sensor too. So I absolutely know where you're coming from. I love it so much. So what diets have you found that work best for managing your blood sugars? So right now I'm doing the keto diet,
2: but I'm trying to be conscious of what types of fats I eat. So I didn't want to trade losing weight and gaining control of my diabetes for like high cholesterol because as diabetics, our bodies tend to have dramatic reactions to things. So when things start slipping and sliding, they slip and slide really fast. So I didn't want to trade like one health benefit and and lose others. Just like healthier fats like almonds, avocados. I do indulge in butter sometimes and things like that. So I'm not perfect, but I'm not trying to eat like eight eggs a day because I'm not working out like that. But definitely cutting out carbs a lot helped a lot and like processed sugars just it really helped to balance where i didn't have balance before but also again the pump and the sensor really made it easy cuz you notice trends and things that i was oblivious to before like i didn't know coffee spikes your blood sugar or i didn't know that like oily foods need to get hit with a second round of insulin or else you know you don't really get rid of that spike. So it's a combination of just like the keto diet was really good for me. No drinking, no smoking, and also, you know, having the pump
0: on. Well, 100% agree with low carb keto. Are you doing (laughs) keto too? I'm doing more low carb. So I stay under, try to stay under 50, but Mm -hmm. going low carb changed my life. I've lost like 65 pounds doing it.
2: Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you.
0: Something we ask all of our guests is what does burnout mean to you? And if you've experienced burnout, what have you found helps manage your manage it or get out of it? Yeah,
2: you guys call it burnout. I just call it like the rebellious side of the diabetes, like the rebellious phase. It's really hard because I think everybody needs to have that sort of aha moment for themselves. For me, I know that motivation kicks in when I hit rock bottom. When I was at my heaviest weight, when my numbers were out of whack, when all of it was happening at once, that was sort of like, all right, you need to get things together. You want to have a family one day. You want to be healthy. If those things don't end up happening, they don't end up happening. But I didn't want it to be because I was making choices that prevented it from happening. So I sort of had that aha moment. I think the biggest thing is this is annoying sometimes. (laughs) Diabetes can be so annoying. And sometimes it can be tricky and it can be frustrating. And unfortunately, sometimes the people who are in the position to be teaching us and educating us and helping us with this aren't the ones who are capable of really making a positive impression on us. If you're not satisfied with your doctor, go ahead and change it. I know it's annoying to like go look for another one, but go ahead and change it. Like if you feel like you're in a rut, And, like, maybe one day you're really bad anxiety. The next day, your blood sugars, it's a new day. Your blood sugars won't reflect that anxiety because you're waking up refreshed. Like, don't be discouraged by, like, one day or a week. But make go ahead and make those changes. I feel like the biggest thing is, like, your healthcare professionals that you're working with, if you don't feel comfortable with them, how are you supposed to feel comfortable doing what they're telling you to do? who's teaching you is such a big part of it. You don't want to feel like a burden asking questions and you want to understand this, but sometimes you're like, maybe if I ask, it's like, I'm wasting more of their time. They think I'm stupid. I think that's a big part. Change those other factors and you'll, you'll start to see like a domino effect. You have to take care of one thing at a time because you you don't want things to again, slip and slide. It's, It's going to be very difficult to get out of.
1: Yeah. Totally understandable. So what are some major changes that you've seen with diabetes over time, like therapies, diets, life expectancy, general expectation of diabetes? So what are some major things that you've seen?
2: I don't know if it's because I'm getting older and I'm just aware of more or if it's actually changed, but I feel like it's not such an uncommon topic to come across anymore either. I feel like there's more exposure on the, the conversation surrounding diabetes and just Care around diabetes, it's not as unheard of. it's not as like uncommon, so that definitely helps. and also, I think just the technology is absolutely amazing. like these pumps are nothing compared. I tried to pump once in high school, and let me tell you, based off of that experience, I was very reluctant to go in the second time. I was like, if there's gonna be an error, it's not going to be a mechanical one. It's gonna be because I messed up and Every kink, every issue I had with it before, they've fixed it. They've smoothed it out. It's unbelievable how close they've gotten to an external functioning pancreas as they could, where it's almost like emotional because you're like, oh, okay, like maybe it wasn't all me. Like maybe it was just I didn't have the tools I needed to get this under control. So I definitely think it's like a dual thing where it's like the technology is really advancing and in a way that. It's intimidating at first, but it's very easy to understand, again, going back to the team you're working with, when you're working with the right people, and also how diabetes is is a normal conversation now. It's not, it's not something you don't really hear about, and it's not something you feel like is
0: taboo. So it's definitely a two-sided thing. I like that you brought up that it's becoming more commonplace to talk about because one of my face masks has powered by insulin on it. And I completely forget that it's there because I'm mean, wearing the mask and I can't see myself. But I went to a like a car toys to get something installed on the car. And the guy who, who checked everything out, he was like, where did you get that mask? And it took me a moment to process. And I was like, oh, it's on Etsy. And he mentioned his wife has type one. And so I was like, oh, that's cool. Because you don't usually run into people who are married to type ones unless mm-hmm. you're at an event or something. But it was just really cool that having that just outward... I guess expression that I have diabetes, even if I forget about forget that it's there, that other people can bring it up, and then I can start talking about it.
2: It's a really cool thing,
0: so knowing what you know now, what do you wish mm-hmm. you'd done differently in the first few years of diagnosis, or that your parents had done differently since you're diagnosed so young?
2: I wish that we hadn't gotten so fixated on those big names in the health world, like the healthcare world. You hear about Yale, Columbia. This, that, and they have like these wonderful reputations. And I feel like you almost get fixated on that instead of the individual that you're working on. And I'm not faulting those places, obviously, but I feel like times are changing too with the approach. And when I was younger, they almost wanted to like scare me into taking this seriously, where it built an anxiety around the appointments and around diabetes itself. So it was never like, "Hey, like I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to do this." It's a, "Why are your numbers like this? What did you? Oh, like are you doing that? Like you know." It was very intimidating as a kid. So I wish that it had been more, took it at face value instead of for the reputation that things had before, like publicly and in and, and media and stuff like that. And I think also too is just a big thing growing up. Again, it's like feeling like you're a part of something feeling like you're a part of the classroom that you have things in common with your peers that you can have a piece of candy with the other kids that you can have that cupcake because those are very important growing up like socially and when you feel like you can't participate you feel other you feel marginalized and then you start to almost despise having this thing it turns into the seed of a pity party that grows and grows and grows and that leads to that rebellious phase because these aren't good things that you're associating with it and you're young. So those things are, are so important. So I feel like if I could go back in time, I would say, no, you don't need to be working with this person. And I would say, okay, have that cupcake, but we need to come up with carb counting and know how to compensate for it. So that five minutes before the party, run down to the nurse's office. Good to go. Cause they
0: do make a lasting impression. This episode is sponsored by Shape and Foster, a 12-month lifestyle development app that brings together experts in finance, mental health, life coaching, yoga, nutrition, and fitness. It's a one-stop shop for improving your life one guided month at a time. It's a community-based app, which means you can interact with all the other members and the experts just like you would on social media. But it's for people serious about improving all aspects of their lives. Lifestyle development is about enhancing your quality of life by improving awareness, identity, and potential. When you go through each month's content, you're making small improvements that stack up over time. Each expert takes the members through a guided 12-month program in each of those areas. And there's live yoga over Zoom twice a month. Visit inspiredforward.com slash shapeandfoster for your 14-day free trial. And you can find that link in the show notes. And now, back to our guest. Do you have any favorite or cherished
1: memories with or about type 1 diabetes, like getting the first pump, getting like an award or something like that? It starts off kind of sad, but uh, we were in the
2: third grade and we weren't allowed to tattletale on each other. We had to sit around a circle and try to work things out at the end of the day. So I remember a couple of students being like, one kid was eating candy and another student came up and was like, you can't eat like that. Are you going to get diabetes like Dania? And they were or like, oh, things like that, or them not knowing that it's not a contagious thing either. So I remember being really upset. And one of my doctors gave me like this cartoon book and it's like, I forgot what the name was, like diabetes in me or something. So I walked in there with this, this cartoon book thinking you know, it was so cool. And I'm like reading to the class and I'm like, I'm going to show you guys. And it was one of those, like you walk away from it. And it was a learning moment for me, but it just it boosted my self-esteem to even have like this cool book with like this super cool artwork in it. It was just, I mean, kids love show and tell, but to have something that was like specific to me, something I had that nobody else did, it was, it was a really cool moment for sure. So how do you define the rebellious side of diabetes? Absolute denial. that you need to be on top of anything, that you need to check anything because I know my body. I know what I feel. I don't need a machine to tell me. That's the rebellious phase.
0: Were you or are you still rebellious in some sense? I was so bad. (laughs) So bad. (laughs) Where I would
2: literally, I didn't get refills for strips for like two years. I was good. And people are like, aren't you going to check your finger? And I'm like, I know my body better than a machine. Like, just because I didn't want to see those numbers and I didn't care to see those numbers. Like, now I think I've had the pump for like about a year and a half, no, a little over two years. And I've been on keto for two years. So that was sort of like my wake up call where I just started fresh. And since then, I've been doing everything that I need to. I've been in auto mode, haven't gotten kicked out a lot. And I've just, I've really been on top of it. And I think once you start taking care of yourself and you have that mental clarity that comes with eating cleaner and you just start feeling better, you want to do better where at least for me, it's almost like competitive. It's like, Oh, I'm an 89%. I want to be in the nineties. Like, so right now I think I'm in like a good place, especially compared to
1: before. So where does the rebellion is? With diabetes, come from? Mm.
2: I think there's a, a few factors. I think starting out from when you're young, when you do start to feel like that's that's something that separates you from your peers or separates you from your siblings, even when you start to feel like that's the reason you can't do something, you sort of you're associating negative thoughts and feelings around it. Which again, like as you grow up, they they start emerging in like different ways. I think that's definitely part of it. And I think there's also a point where you're just kind of like, this is annoying. I don't want to deal with that. And you go about and you're like, well, I'm feeling fine. Not realizing that some things take time. Damage internally can take time. And just because you're not seeing it in that moment, it's, it's easy to ignore. And I also do think that you know the team, again, that you're working with makes a big difference. If you feel like you're a burden to them, or you're not understanding them, or they're not treating you as an individual, they're treating you as like a case number, it definitely makes for a slippery slope. Like there's so many different factors, but I know that those three definitely contributed to mine.
1: So what is it like not to be ready to take control of your diabetes, like emotionally and, you know, like mentally and physically?
2: As cliche as it sounds, it's almost like you have blurry vision and you don't realize how blurry it actually is until you put glasses on. And because you think like, all right, I'm fine. And you sort of like, your mind is almost foggy in some ways where you're not seeing the bigger picture. You're sort of stuck in your ways. And there's a part of you that just doesn't care to do better. So I feel like that's the only way I can really describe it. It's like, once you do start gaining a little bit of control, which I do think, I'm going to say the complete confidence, I do think that pumps should be available to everyone. There's no way that you're going to have the same. We get updates every two minutes on our blood sugar. There's no way that checking three to five times a day is going to give you that same kind of control. And I don't fault people for not having control. How difficult to do something so almost like, infrequent for to make up for an organ that's constantly doing something constantly moving like how are you supposed to compare to that so all those things together just I feel like like a lot of the time we fault individuals for not taking control and I think that sometimes a person has to be ready they have to reach that aha moment but I do think that there are other things at play we just have to make them more accessible we have to put the information out there and we need to make them less intimidating to go after.
0: Or how do you see rebelliousness affecting the rest of your life? Not just in terms of maybe your life expectancy, but also in terms of like the different aspects of life, maybe relationships, community, finances, work, et cetera. Honestly, I've
2: been in such a good place. I can't see myself not continuing to like gain this control. And I think technology is just getting better. That it's going to be even easier. It's going to be even more manageable. But I do think that it's important in other aspects because when you have a clean, a clear mind and you feel good and you're actually doing good, you're able to put good out there. You have good energy to you. You want to do better. And I also think it's considerate of all those other things. Like You're going to work better because you're like a well-oiled machine now. You're not like... Mm, mm, mm got to take care of this. My blood sugar is too high. I can't function right now. And even in terms of like relationships is hopefully everybody, you know, wants to find somebody that just gets them and you, and you want to build a future with them. I think that going into that, you want to put your best foot forward as you would want for them. And you don't want these life is already stressful. (laughs) If we can avoid some hiccups, especially health ones, because you only, you have your health and, Things come and go, but your health is forever. Like you need to take care of it. Going into those relationships to not add that stressor of just, is she okay? Does she need help? Like I haven't heard from her. Did she she pass out? Those things are important, especially if you want to like build a family. I think that that was one of my motivations. Not that I'm trying for one yet, but God knows it may or may not happen, but I didn't want it to be because of something I wasn't taking care of. So those definitely play a role. Like, I think everything is connected. This is a part of of who we are. It's not just what we are. But if you take care of that, it's, it's a part of a machine, a well-oiled machine. You don't take care of this piece, all those other pieces aren't going to turn properly. So it's definitely important.
0: So you you've said that there are a lot of people who've been treated like a number by healthcare professionals in their mm-hmm. youth. What does that treatment actually look like? And how do you see it follow those people into adulthood?
2: It's unfortunate because I feel like that aha moment happens way later. There's sort of like... You're almost turned off to taking care of things. And there's such an anxiety around appointments that you're like, Let let me skip this appointment. I'll make another one. I'll make another one. Keep pushing it off, pushing it off. It's not until you're in your 20s, like I was four... In my twenties, taking care of things, and I know that there's a few patients in that work with the same team I do who have similar experiences at the same places. So it's unfortunate because you see it sort of trickle down in other ways. So that that's one side of it, and then also just uh, the technology part of it. I feel like I remember getting my first pump and walking out of there afraid to touch a button because I didn't want to mess things up because I didn't understand the technology. I was Hooked onto. It was more like, what was the least amount of information I could have been given in the quickest amount of time, where it was like a check, like this had already been discussed without true understanding of what I was dealing with and the technology I was walking away with. And I think by not having those tools, we're just inviting more issues in the future instead of resolving something in that moment, taking those extra five minutes it ends up creating a lifetime of, of problems and quite possibly complications too.
0: How do you manage appointment anxiety? I got to
2: a point where I was just like, all right, woosah, we gotta go. <laughs> and then I stopped taking my mom with me because I was like, I do not need a witness to out me. I'm gonna lie about some numbers and <laughs> um, hope for the best. <laughs> my A1C outed me, not my mom this time. It's fine, I can talk my way out of it. Okay. <laughs> but um that ended up becoming the thing. And eventually I switched teams. And that anxiety just sort of went away. They were really hell-bent on educating me and like really thinking outside of the box for me as an individual and looking at me for the numbers I was giving them in like the lab results, but also my family history and taking my goals into consideration. So that anxiety isn't there anymore, but it took a really long time. That's why I'm really encouraging to say to people is like, if you're not happy with the people who are teaching you and you're not happy with the information or the feeling that you get after those appointments, then switch who you're working with.
0: Would you consider that uh, changing of teams firing your endo? Sure. It'll make me feel better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, what what's kind of your overall experience with endocrinologists? I
2: don't want to say that they're all awful because there's been some amazing ones. But it really, it really does take the right fit. This is a personal thing. Even though it's you know a doctor and stuff, it's, it's like this can get very personal. And it touches on so many other parts of your life that you have to be comfortable with who you're talking to. And you have to be comfortable with their vision of it as well. If you're meeting with somebody who's a visionary and they're so excited for the technology coming out, then that's one thing. But then there are some doctors who are a little bit more old school and they're just like, yeah, that sounds cool. And they don't really know much past that.
0: So it definitely takes the right fit. You're basically describing my pediatric endo and my current endo. <laughs> really? <laughs> old school versus super excited about all of the new stuff. It makes a difference.
2: It like really When does. your doctor is excited to share these things with you, you get excited over possibly trying them. Yeah. So it definitely makes a difference.
0: Do you have any advice for diabetics who are struggling to control their
2: diabetes? I say, take a minute to yourself and think about the things that you really want to achieve outside of diabetes, not having anything to do with diabetes. Think about all of the goals that you want to set, all of the things that you wish to accomplish that could be career, that could be relationships, whatever it is. And once you have that, that's a goal that you can work towards but you have to get your diabetes in check so that you can reach it in the most efficient amount of time and feel good about getting there. I think it starts with one change. Like, don't be discouraged if things don't aren't perfection. A week after starting, a day after starting, it's very frustrating and it's very annoying because it's all hit or miss, but it's trial and error with this. There's no... So have patience with yourself. Be forgiving to yourself. It's not you. It's a very complicated thing at times. But once you gain that control, I guarantee you those goals that you set up initially will just seem so much more achievable. 100%.
0: Do you have any projects that you're working on right now that you're really excited about?
2: Well, I have my Instagram that hopefully I will be doing keto food, sort of trying them out, letting you know if they're... Worth the money or save your money and your wallet won't yell at you later. (laughs) Things like that. I also want to do like just like shorts on diabetes. Like, hey, did you know (laughs) you should substitute like a cup of coffee almost like it's four carbs? Because I things I didn't know that are just like complete game changers. Even because you're like looking at it, like, why am I spiking? I didn't do anything. Why you? So um, just things like that. So if you guys wanna check me out on Instagram. I'll put the plug. It's at D-A-N underscore A-L-K. And there's definitely going to be some new content coming up. And also anybody feel free to DM me with any type of question or just something that, that you want to have a discussion about, even if it's not something like posted about, I think it's really cool. It's just to have conversations with people from any and everywhere.
0: All right. Thank you so much for coming on. Everybody go hit up Dania on Instagram and you guys can chat.
2: Thank you for having me. And I'm excited to have new conversations with you guys on Instagram, hopefully.
1: Jesse, what is our question for the audience? All right. Our questions for you guys this week is, are there any rebellious in your diabetes care at all, do you or do you have any things that your doctors or nurses would cringe at? Meaning, what
0: are some bad habits that you have that you know you should break? (laughs) I have some. I think we all do. I think the big one for everybody is not changing their lancets, which honestly, I don't do. And also going low-carb was kind of rebellious for me, but I didn't even realize that until I was a guest on another podcast called This Might Get Uncomfortable. And we talked about how going low-carb actually was kind of rebellious because it's not the norm for type 1 diabetes.
1: And then mine's around the same. I never change out my poker, like ever. I don't think I've changed it out in the last couple of months. So I'm sorry. That's kind of disgusting. But you know, at the same time and then one really bad one that i have is that so when my cgm falls out i don't put it on like the next day or the same day i actually kind of forget about it which is a really bad habit and i just leave it off for like two or three days and then i'm like oh what am i missing and then i put the cgm on so it takes me a second to process but i always get there
0: why do you just like completely forget about your blood sugars being visible like that
1: Outside, out of mind kind of thing. So it'll be on the charger and I've got the charger just sitting in the box and everything. So it's there. It's present in my mind. And plus, you know, I'm just sitting at home. So it's not as though I I really need it at the moment. It's more of like, it's like, I know I can manage my diabetes without it. So I don't necessarily have to have it on all the time. So, yeah, I guess if that works for you. I mean, it does. And then I put it on. I'm like, wow, this is so much easier having this on. So (laughs) it's a lot easier with your CGM on. And of course, I love it. It's just sometimes I'm just like, "Ah, I need my stump mic to heal a little bit because the
0: adhesive does kind of tear up your skin just a tad. That is it for this episode of This is Type 1. Thank you so much to Dania Al-Khatib for coming on as a guest to the show. You can find Dania on Instagram at D-A-N underscore A-L-K. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com/slash episode seventy-five. That's the number 75. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, please fill out the form on our podcast page at thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade. I have a free Facebook group where I coach people for free in the comments, and I go live on most Saturdays. You can join life and mindset coaching by visiting the link in the show notes. I'm on all social media as at inspiredforward. You can find me on DMP. It's diabetes management platform as at Colleen Mitchell with a space. And our email is Colleen at inspiredforward.com. And I'm on
1: Instagram as at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send me questions or comments you have about type one diabetes or about the show. If you do reach out on Instagram, make sure that you mention
0: your listener of the show because sometimes you get those spam messages and that's not good. Thank you so much for joining us and be sure to listen next week when we talk about habit change strategies and life improvement, focusing on people with diabetes. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com slash community. I can't wait to see you there.